You are listening to Holistic Living with Hazel, where you are informed, educated, and empowered to live your best holistic life. What's up? What's up? (laughs) Happy Thursday and welcome to Holistic Living with Hazel, where we are here to empower, equip, and inform you to live your best holistic life. What's up, Wendy? What's up, sis? How are you? (laughs) I am great. I am so glad that you are here again with me to talk about um, addiction and we're focusing on the black community this yes. time around. Yes. And guys, we, we, we brought it to you because you asked for a part two. So yeah. you know, whatever you ask, you get from Holistic Living with Hazel. And with that being said, I want you all to make sure that you are um, looking listening to us on Real 1100 AM. Hit that for me. I think that's my other guest chiming in. Um, Holistic Living with Hazel on um, our Instagram page as well as our Facebook page. But also, most importantly, Real 1100 AM and iHeartRadio where we can get our ratings, guys. Um, I want you to also make sure that you clock in and stream there as well. 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 First of all, Hazel, they can't see you. I need, oh, okay. I need sorry, them to I'm sorry, see you. I'm sorry. Guys, you know, we're we maneuvering around here. Yeah, we're okay? trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure it out. So everybody can see. Everybody's good. Everybody good. So, you know, guys, we stream on. Um, go ahead and answer that. Yours. Okay. Um, we stream on Facebook Live as um, just so that you all can hear, I see behind the scenes. Um, but again, Real Eleven Hundred AM and Our Heart yes, Radio yes. are where we want you to tune in so that we can get those ratings. But yes, you can click in and see us on Facebook Live. So, producer, what's up? <laughs> what's up, Jay? What's, what's going on, Queen? Sixty-five on What's the, up? The gate code or the door number? Um, okay, so we're we're all right. What does she need? She what needs she to need? get in the door. What she don't know which door? Which door? Okay, okay, we, we got you. My producer is gonna get you real quick, y'all. Get, bear with us. We're bear, bear with us. What one of our hosts? Our host is waiting to get into the door to the studio. So we're just trying to maneuver her and get her on in here. Um, but yeah, so. Are you excited? I am excited. I am too. I am so excited. I was just blown away uh, by the response and by the numbers. Yes. Um, and that let me know that we both are in the right place at mm-hmm. the right time mm-hmm. and that this is something that our community needs to hear. Yeah. And they are interested because there are so many families that mm. are struggling with addictions of some sort don't know what to do, mm-hmm. don't know how to help, and then they don't know the barriers that await them. Right, right. Because there are those. So thank you to the listening audience for Holistic Living with yes. Hazel. Because the um, numbers were like 380. I was like. That's crazy. Girl, it's crazy. It's it crazy. Made me, I was just honored to be a part of it. I'm well, already proud of you. Thank you. And I was honored to be a part of it. So. 
Well, we're going to go ahead and get rolling. I was trying to wait until our other host came in, but um, we're going to get her in the door. But I don't want to waste any time because we have a lot to cover. Yes, we do. Um, so we're going to start off, you know, you guys, um, as we begin to talk about topics, I try to do my research. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talk about addiction and we're focusing on the black community, we have to talk about not so much the government and policies, but what has just been put in place. And if those things have been put in place, how are they affecting us, right? Right, right. Because a lot of times, I've talked about this in uh, one of my shows. It may have been one of my crime shows, a juvenile crime show. And I talked about different policies that are put in place by people who really don't really know us. Don't know us. At all. And, um, yeah, you know, the government, they do put committees and things together. But who are in those committees, right? right? Exactly. So with that being said, we want to talk about, quote, unquote, and I put quotations on the war on drugs, which presidents throughout history have (laughs) put in these policies and launched their own different acts. And I want to go over some of those. Yes, please Um, do. President Nixon launched a war on drugs campaign in the 1970s and the legacy that still exists today. The campaign attempted to bring attention to awareness of the impact on drugs and how America that it had on American people. Debatably, benefits such as Nixon signing the Controlled Substance Act in 1970 has helped officials classify and regulate dangerous drugs. The campaign helped people gain education on the side effects of drugs like LSD and heroin and take them more and for them to take it more seriously. Nixon also under this criminalized drugs like marijuana. Mm hmm which many believe brought harmful stereotypes to the hippies and anti-war left population. Additionally, Nixon's harsh punishment for drugs like heroin and crack cocaine crippled the black community. So let's fast forward to the Ronald Reagan Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which established mandatory minimum sentences for drug possession. The prison population under that had tripled in the two decades that preceded that act. Mm, mm, mm. Now let's move a little further up the up the of the of up the scale to the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994 that is current today. Yep. No, commonly known as the Criminal Crime Bill, which sponsored by Joe Biden 26 years ago. It is often blamed for extending tough on crime policies that overly criminalize black Americans. And this narrative warranted was this narrative warranted. Okay, the issue is complicated, but we do our best to make some sense of it. Then we're going to move a little further up um, where we talk about the um, uh, the bill for 4020. And it's still part of the Joe Biden um, war, tough, uh, uh, tough on war. Uh, I'm sorry, tough on crime bill. Um, but some of the statistics out of that bill is that in over 85 percent of those arrests, drug possession was the most serious offense. Drug arrests disproportionately impact people of color and more commonly occur in historically over policed low income communities. A crime criminal record 
even for an arrest that did not result in a conviction, has a profound impact on individuals, often interrupting employment, housing, Mm -hmm. family relationships, child custody, and education. So let's talk, y'all. Deep. So, Just, uh, before we go into that, yeah. we got our another co-host, Miss hey. Deidre Badu hey, in the building. Sisters, good evening, good evening, good evening. It's great to be here. Yes, I'm sorry you had to come in on that those statistics, but we had to get, we had to jump into it. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad because I I really tried to find something uh, nice about the uh, <laughs> war on drugs, <laughs> <laughs> and I spent about 12 hours. And I could not really find um, really any substance that that act um, uh, did anything to curb uh, drug use. You yeah. Know? Well, that uh, leads me to the, the question. And I, I want both of you to answer this in your professional and personal opinion. How do we begin the war on drugs in our community. So we, we, we see what the government's doing, right? Yes. Right. So, and, and, and let's go to that last sentence. It seems as if these several war on drug campaigns, acts, whatever you want to call it, has led to, and I'll read it again, interrupting, uh, profound impact on individuals, often interrupting employment, housing, family relationships, child custody and education so where are we what what would you all do professionally and personally having been in the trenches and what you've seen what is war on drugs Mm. you know i thought about this question and i prayed about it so i could (laughs) um i'm just gonna be me this is my opinion first of all we got to change the narrative yes uh uh, you can't have a war on an inanimate object. Mm. Okay, so if we got a war on drugs, then that means we got a war on pharmaceutical companies. Mm. We got a war on alcohol. I mean, but these, you war with things that can fight back. Mm. So we got to change the narrative. I think the narrative itself has just done so much damage mm-hmm. because the stigma associated with addiction, mm-hmm. uh, the t- the stigma associated with drug use. I mean, if you're um, in the upper echelons or the higher socioeconomic status, it used to be cool if you snorted cocaine. Right. That was the drug for rich people. Yeah. But then when it became an issue in the black community, now we got a war on drugs. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is we got to change the narrative. Right. We've done so much damage to the black community that there is there is a reluctancy to even say, hey, I'm struggling with drug use or addiction. Because the first thing they think is, there's a war against me. Right. And I'm going to either be locked up, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my children for many women right. that lose it. So... There has been this this uh, standard set, mm-hmm. and so this is going to take other Black Americans, Black professionals, um, and recovered addicts mm-hmm. of African American descent to try to embrace. I love it and change that narrative. Yes, Badu. I I I can't agree with Wendy more. 
But there's there's another angle uh, that I read about today, too. It also made the police more aggressive to uh, particularly black males in our community as well Mm -hmm. because of that, quote, unquote, war. Because, like uh, Wendy said, if I'm using drugs, then I'm the enemy and there's a war out against me personally. I think that in order for us to, we need to, first of all, let's be honest and transparent, okay? Um, Every agency goes through an audit. They're they're supposed to go through an audit. Every agency has to be licensed by the state, and they go through an audit every year. Let's start with the process of auditing. Why audit charts? Why don't you talk to the clients? Why don't you talk to the workers? Let's start holding people in positions accountable. Yes. Yes. If uh, uh, we, there's a new um, uh, position, uh, relatively new, called peer specialist. They have like 50 on their caseload. I don't carry 50 of anything on my caseload. Right. And so why should someone with less education than me, less experience than me, carry 50 individuals, and most of them are in recovery as well on the caseload. Mm -hmm. And then if you're a private contractor, an independent contractor, the law says no one can supervise you. So you have people working for core providers, that are independent contractors with no supervision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think we're doing any justice there. Right. right. You know, and, and that that's a big thing for me. Yes. You know, um, the association that I belong to, we have conversation. I think new counselors that have not had has no experience with addiction professionally, I think they need to go through a supervision period. I think they need to stay supervised, have someone supervise them for six months or a year to make sure they're being held accountable, make sure they're ethical, and they're doing the work. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, unfortunately, because drug use is at the bottom of the barrel in a lot of people's eyes, that just because I see a client, I could bill for that client. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. It's a money-making business. It's a money-making business. Mm-hmm. And that's what it turned out to be. Right. Well, it turned out to be like that ever since the beginning of time. Right. It's always been a money-making business. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I think that in order for us, we're talking about health care. Yep. Health care has skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. In Atlanta, the time I've been here in Atlanta, I've seen homelessness just, just, just go, wow. Right. You know, mm-hmm. all over. Yes. Out of proportion. Yes. And, 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 and even though there are a lot of good people doing out there doing a lot of good work, a lot of agencies out there doing good work, but we have to have hold somebody accountable today. Yeah. And we have to look at the... Um, that it is getting worse you know a lot of times we will look at something especially when it feels like it's out of our reach or out of our grasp that we start normalizing it yeah yes you know i went you know i don't go downtown um atlanta often now um i happened to have to go down there for a game this past weekend 
and it blew my mind. Yeah. No one can tell me that this is what where we were even three, four years ago. Absolutely. I never saw, Absolutely. you know, tents actually on the sidewalk, yes, right? right. You would see them under the bridges. You would see them in certain areas. But, you ne- I, you know, I literally thought the, the vision that I had was Los Angeles skid row. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it is looking and mm-hmm. becoming. Yes. You know, um, so... You know, we have to, like you said, we have to look at these things and stop trying to normalize. And and, and, and not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Not be afraid that I'm not going to get a job or they're going to be mad at me. Sooner or later, somebody has to be held accountable for this. Mm-hmm. And it really, and I, I don't want to throw out no names, but we <laughs> have to remember. The Department of Behavioral Health and uh, Developmental Disabilities is a relatively new agency, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Because remember, the Department of Human Services used to carry all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. When the Department of Behavioral Health came in, we gave them a few years to try to get it together, but the auditing was the same way. They come look at charts. They just make sure dates are in order, Mm -hmm. signatures in order, and they're out the door. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm hearing that what we, what you all professionally and personally feel the war on drugs should be is, number one, changing the narrative, first yes, of all. Yes. How we say what we how we say it. Yeah. Who, we, who are we warring, you know, with? Yeah. Um, and then I also hear you say professionally we need to begin to look at this thing on how we are even monitoring mm-hmm. exactly. um, the system and how we're monitoring just people because we're dealing with people, people. Yeah. who are addicted. And so Absolutely. instead of just focusing on the charts, even though we know these things are important to continue to keep going yes. as an agency, we need to yeah. think more about and what you're really looking at is the integrity of the program. And how do you measure that? The quality you, of yes, service. By people. Yeah. By people who are Be, receiving the service. You know, <laughs> how, do you, how do you measure absolutely. a program because and you one, don't listen to that? Absolutely. Because one thing a lot of people don't know is that, first of all, we all know Georgia's not a Medicaid state. <laughs> but if you have an addiction and a mental health disorder, you can get Medicaid quicker than if you had uh, stage three or stage four cancer. Hmm. Wow. Mm. That happened to me twice. I had two siblings. Right. We could not get them on Medicaid. Right. And for our other listeners, you know, outside of Georgia, I'm sure that um, if those are listening, you can chime in on Facebook if you're listening in other um, states. Um, you know, just kind of tell us about your Medicaid system um, in, in short. Um, if it's, in fact, like Georgia, um, as uh, Ms. Badu had talked about, um, in getting Medicaid and, and the process of getting how, you know, how easy it is to get versus something else. Right. Um, how does the current drug crisis in our community, we kind of hit on this, but I really want us to go in detail of how does the drug crisis in our community affecting the current uprising and violence that we are seeing in our communities? Oh, oh wow. Okay, let me I'm <laughs> say this first, and uh, I'm going to uh, finish. Mm-hmm. First of all, I have to bow down to Fannie Willis. On her platform, 
She said what she was going to do, and we see changes in the community. Now, for our listeners, um, Fannie Willis is our district attorney in Georgia. In Georgia, Mm -hmm. she's Fulton County District Attorney. Fulton County District Attorney, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And she is, and of course, we know she's dealing with a whole bunch of high-level stuff, but she is not ignoring the low-level stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, many, many houses that could have been selling crack, could have been selling whatever, uh, are shut down now. So she's trying to make the community safe, and uh, and she's holding up to her promise that she that uh, she said when she was running for a district attorney. So, so far, we are seeing small changes, uh, but it has to be more changes than just her office. I think we need to educate um, the uh, the police department a little more on how to deal with people that are addicted to drugs. I'd be honest with you, if I was a police officer and somebody was freaking out on crack, I, I, I'd be afraid. I would be afraid. I would too. Uh, but if they get educated on the difference between the different stimulants and depressants, mm-hmm. then that might make their job a little more easier for them. Right. You know, and then educate our children. Right. You know, I know they don't have that curriculum in the school district. I get it. But we need to talk about it in church. We need to talk about it at recreational centers. We need to talk about it at home. We can no longer afford to sweep drunk Uncle Joe up under the carpet. Right. And Cooter Brown? Cooter Brown. Call Cooter Brown out. Well, yeah. I, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play devil's advocate a okay. little bit okay. and add a little bit more to that okay. from personal and professional experience and some research. Mm-hmm. Number one, um, the propensity to be violent is a part of you, whether you're using drugs or not. True that. Okay, um, the pr- propensity to be a criminal. Mm-hmm. It's a part of you, whether you're using drugs or not. Um, and alcohol has been researched to. Uh, cause a person to be violent more. That's what I was thinking. More violent. Right? More violent any other than drug. any mm-hmm. other drug. So, you know, being educated and knocking some of these these um, facades that they are propaganda. Mm-hmm. I love that question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and being educated about the propaganda that's put, being put before us to keep chains on our brain. So, and I'll speak from personal experience. This is not bragging, right? I say this with all the humility in the world. Yes. In all of my years of using, I don't have a criminal record. Mm-hmm. So everybody does not fit into that. Once again, here's another narrative. Mm-hmm. Because you're using drugs, you're violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people are educated on drugs, heroin is a downer. Don't nobody feel like doing nothing <laughs> when they do heroin. <laughs> they finna nod it out. They ain't, they ain't finna right. fight nobody. They ain't finna shoot nobody. nobody. Right, right. Okay? Uh, cocaine is, is an upper. And if people know history, people start using cocaine and heroin together to balance out mm. the high. So most of the time you're sitting around looking real numb. And um, mm-hmm. I'm speaking from us. I know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we need to really look at why are we saying that violence yeah. is because of the drugs. People that are violent are violent. And a lot of times, and I learned this, a lot of times violence starts 
at home. How many of us know that children that are abused are more likely than other children that are not abused to be abusers Mm -hmm. when they become adults? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's what they've been exposed to. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I just, I I needed to add that piece. But see, but that's the piece that we need to take out of that war drugs. Everybody that uses drugs are not violent. Yeah. Everybody with mental health disorders is not violent. Exactly. One of the things that I, I, I know you guys remember what happened to Lynn Bias, yes. young ball player. Yes. The first thing they said, he was smoking crack. Mm-hmm. He wasn't smoking crack. <laughs> but that's what the television they put out there. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing they said. Yeah. Right. He was not smoking crack. And so that's why I said we have to start being honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One drink with a pregnant woman is not going to give your baby FES. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Because the more you are dishonest with the people, nobody's going to trust anybody. We just went through that with COVID. Yeah. Right? Right? How many people got bad? I don't trust them. Blah, 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 blah. I think that in every community, there needs to be a anti-drug or whatever committee consisting of members of that community. I love it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because one thing they can't do, and I use they loosely, um, you can't tell me about coming up on Simpson and Ashbury. Hmm. Which is what for a, a non Simpson folks. and Ashby is part of the hood. <laughs> I forgot. I'm sorry, y'all. Simpson and Ashby is one of the urban parts of Atlanta, which most uh, predominantly black. Um, at one time, it was one of the richest neighborhoods in the city of Atlanta. Um, and now it's the hood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and why is it the hood? Uh, because stuff just like with treatment. Stuff start getting cut. Wait a minute, yeah. Let me let me put a pin. Did y'all see they cl- they talking about closing Atlanta Medical yeah. once again? Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, you're taking something that we right mm-hmm. primarily right. need. Right. right, but but look what they already have done. Right, mm-hmm. when, when Emory took over Grady, one of the Come stipulations was Grady get get rid of their methadone clinic. Right, I remember. Mm-hmm. Yes, and mm-hmm. Grady was the only place that a person was struggling with uh, opiate addiction. Um, Medicaid that or could Medicare go and get could go and get treated. Yes. So for our non-Atlanta and okay. Georgia, okay, let's talk just shortly. Gra- tell us are, what Emory. Tell them what uh, Emory is and tell them what what uh, Grady is. And Grady is like the general hospital. Okay, <laughs> right, right. Everybody, got Everybody go to Grady. <laughs> right. Where I'm from, we call it Denver General. Right. Up right. in Seattle, it's called Harborview. It's that hospital where you can go when you don't have. Yeah insurance right, or right. you don't you don't have anybody right because a lot of people can just walk into Absolutely. Grady right. and be served and right. Emory is a big hospital it's a teaching hospital and it's one of the top of the lines hospital yes and you're gonna pay Grady's bill but sometimes people that go to I mean Emory's bill but sometimes when you go to Grady you might not have the money to pay but that's why Grady has always been Grady right and that's why we could not afford to lose Grady but that that stipulation of getting rid of the methadone clinic hurt a lot of people it hurt a lot of people mm-hmm. a lot of people so you guys I mean you guys are hitting on these questions um, and so when I asked this going a little bit more detail 
Um, and I'll start off with you, Wendy. Do you feel that the war on drugs has been used as a propaganda for from both sides of the aisle to avoid dealing with the real issues of addiction in our community? Most definitely. And if so, how? First of all, because it stigmatizes and it targets African Americans. Mm-hmm. It. it you, we don't have an epidemic until it hits the rich side of town. Mm-hmm. We've been dealing with stuff on the urban side of town a, a long time. And people turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. Um, uh, uh, another way I think is used as propaganda. At one point, I remember when I first... Um, came into the rooms of recovery and people were opening up 501c3s like it was going out of town. Mm -hmm. Because you know what they said? We're going to send these Negroes some money down there so they can open up some treatment facilities so we don't have to deal with it. And half of those facilities were only opening to get the 501c3 money. It wasn't about quality of service. Mm -hmm. So yes, that war and these benefits and these stipends and these checks and all of that stuff, yeah, propaganda. Yeah, and I and, and I mentioned on both sides of the aisle, you know. Both sides. What about yeah. you, um, Badu? Okay. Now, when, when I looked at that question, I'm like, you better throw some research in there. Yeah. Let me tell you something. The war of drugs, first of all, we know there have been three acts. But it was, first of all, it was presented to the American people mm-hmm. that they were going to stop drugs coming in the country. Mm-hmm. So when that didn't happen, of course, because, I mean, our country, we can grow food and other countries can't grow food. And so if I'm those other countries and this is all I can grow and I got a seller, why not grow me some poppies and whatever and sell to the American people? For, let's start there. So there was never this. The war on drugs should have been directed there, not the black community. One author, um, her name, his name is Gabriel from the Catacetter. He said that the war of drugs was targeted to black and brown people and people who they considered were the far leftist people. Mm-hmm. And so... With that, that meant that gave everybody a picture that if you're black or brown and your pants are sagging or you have dreads or you have braids or you don't look like the normal uh, uh, black person that I think you need to look like, then you're probably using drugs. Hmm. Then when they came out with, and some of these programs have some good things, but right now I'm just telling you what was not so good. Then they came out with going to the schools asking the children, do you know about drugs? Children going home saying, oh, my mom and dad smoke weed. Yeah, my mom and dad smoke weed. So now, uh, <laughs> instead of arresting uh, uh, the parents, because you just can't go and arrest, because what the children say, but there's surveillance. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're using our kids to snitch on us. Uh, not me personally. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because I come from a household with sitting in the house, yeah, uh, stay in there. You know? <laughs> and, and so it, it got all turned around. But And that's because there was too much politicking in it. Mm-hmm. We got mm-hmm. to get the politicking out of it. it. It has to be bipartisan. It has to be something that's going to benefit 
especially the black community, because the reality is we have had drugs in our community as long as I have been born. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. I knew what a, a heroin addict was before I was 10 years old. Because if I caught the bus going downtown, you could see them all lined up on the Five Points in Denver, Colorado. And everybody there from Denver, y'all know what the Five Points used to be. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then when people start losing their homes. Right. And then there was so much money to be made. Right. If I'm getting a $500 Social Security check and I'm 60-something years old and I'm looking at my grandchild like, oh, Lord, mm-hmm. Lord, bless me, Jesus. What can I do to help? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just keep it real. Right. Yeah. Which you brought up another topic, poverty. Poverty. Yes. Poverty, impoverished yes. communities. Um, and that ties in with the criminal with the criminal piece is that young African-American children, many of them got in the drug game because they was trying to feed the yeah. family. Yeah. And it wasn't because, it wasn't always because mama and daddy was on drugs. It was because daddy came from Vietnam with some kind of problem PTSD. and we don't know how to deal with mm-hmm. it. So he can't work. So my friend told me about how I can flip some packages so that I can feed my sister and help my mama who's dying because she don't have no insurance. Mm -hmm. So poverty played a a big part of it. Um, It it may be illegal, but when you're in desperation, you do what it takes to survive. Yeah. I said I wasn't going to yeah. say this because, you know, I don't, we, you know. We, we're, we're not trying to take sides, but we got to no, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah we got to be. But I want to say, how did these drugs get in our community? Oh, Who, come well, on now. I don't, I don't know, know one there. person that owns a plane. And I don't Me neither. Owns a boat that go from wherever Me neither. And back over I don't there. either. Me neither. It, it was by design. And, and if we look back at our own history, and after the assassinations of two great leaders, uh, many more than two, uh, I should add. Uh, but it was uh, when, when they assassinated Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and, uh, um, excuse me, uh, Egg Mega Evers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we as black people, we need leaders. Right. Let's, let's mm-hmm. call it what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. We are, uh, 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 our ancestors say we leaders and we have proven we need leaders. Right. Mm-hmm. And so... When the when the leaders were assassinated, people were trying to get together and uh, push the young people into my daddy's job. My daddy worked for Ford, so we're going to get brother, mm-hmm. uncle, blah, 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 and Ford. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, when Ford shut down, where's the boys going? Right. They, are, they grew up, they thought they were going to Ford. And then the racism of it. Exactly. Black people were not always accepted into treatment. And they I sure don't know weren't. why people have a problem with this. I never knew that. They yeah. weren't. No, mm-hmm. you go to jail, right? And they gonna go to treatment. But well, you was it jail. because these facilities were were uh, high um, in cost, or was it just was it straight it racism? Could, it could have been straight racism in certain cases, and it could be uh, the lack of. Uh, 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 medical insurance medical insurance and Mm -hmm. and definitely the lack of funds Mm -hmm. okay now i personally have not experienced any discrimination in treatment but i was a one-stop shop you know but i have seen other people like uh i'm sorry your insurance cover will only cover two weeks 
Mm-hmm. Well, you just told somebody else their insurance only covered two weeks, but you was going to give another two on, on right. the house. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know? And so if we if we do a new uh, something on drugs, because I'm like Wendy, I don't like that war on drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, make me feel I need to carry an AK-47 around. You yeah. Know? yeah. And yeah. I don't know who the enemy is. Well, we yeah. should, and, and we know? need to have a war on the liquor stores. Yeah, Because alcohol is a drug. Absolutely. Oh, wow. And that's a, a war on corner? all. That, look at all. That's on every corner and in our community. All of the uh, uh, open stores, the little stores that are carrying drug paraphernalia. Exactly. Mm. What are we saying here? Nothing. Yeah. And nothing. What are we saying? It doesn't yeah. seem so much of a war anymore. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No. So, so either we're going to, uh, everybody's going to win win, or everybody's going to lose lose. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and money talks. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for the uh, calling, uh, uh, penalizing the Purdue uh, pharmaceutical company, oh, it was going to get worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had to use someone as an example. Right. And they used that Purdue uh, pharmaceutical company as an example. Right. But they just stopped. Right. right. No, don't stop. Well, we're going to continue this after our break. But what I, on the end of the end of this series here, on this side of the clock, I want to say, and I was speaking with a friend of mine um, and my father over some dinner the other day, and we talked about being careful about somebody throwing you a bone just Damn. to make you be quiet mm-hmm. and and say and, and, and disguise it as this is the solution. Be careful about that. Absolutely. Right. Be careful about that. And you all just hit on that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to finish that conversation right after our break. And then we're going to go into some long-term and short-term solutions. Okay, okay cool. Thanks. Stick, stay, don't okay. go away, y'all.
All right, we are back. We are back. We are back, y'all. So before we left um, for break, we we talked and, and hit on some great topics of you know what is propaganda, what is um, how blacks, um, how drugs are affecting our black community in, in reference to crime. Uh, we heard from our co-host um, Deidre and Wendy on professionally and personally their opinions on the war on drugs. So we we really talked a lot about changing the narrative of that war on drugs, and, and then we began to expound on that. And we left off talking about both sides of the aisle. Um, I, this is not a political show. I I, I stem away from that mm-hmm. um, because what I've learned is a lot of people handle that, and they're not respectful in that. And so I steer away from that because I'm more, this show is more about being solution-focused right. and me, since it's my show, I believe <laughs> I believe that the work is done in the trenches. I don't care what higher government does, what um, you know, more little closer local government it has more bearing, but it never will take the place of what we personally do every day and the effect of personally getting out here and touching people in a way where it is personal, right? Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, that will never take away take a, take the place of policy. Never take the place of of money. It won't take the place of any of that. So, when I say both sides of the aisles, um, I really want us to be honest about um, government as a whole. Mm-hmm. Okay. Local and otherwise, yes. you know, just <laughs> local yes. and otherwise. Yes. But yes. trust and no, I'm I am definitely a believer in that. No side is better than the other, right? Right. right. Um, when it comes to specific things, and especially when we have documentation and research yes. that both sides of the aisle have passed these war on drugs, drugs and both sides of the aisle, oh, in my opinion, have missed the mark. Missed How do we know mark. that? Because of where we are right, right now. Absolutely. And that is undeniable. Amen. So right. we're getting, like we said here, this is the personal touch. There are people listening to <laughs> us. There are people who really are in tune to really what's right. going on and really want solutions they want solutions. And you all sitting here, you have those. You have wholeheartedly have those for many, many reasons. So when I say that, I want you to talk to our listeners. And we're going to start off with some short-term solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you guys have a hearty, uh, not debate, but uh, of conversation yes on certain treatments because we're going to talk about when we talk about Mm -hmm. short term um i know i want us to get into certain treatments because the last time we had the show a lot of people called in about treatment right and i think it was because of what you said by doing that was you know people not being able to get in right not being able to find find a a adequate facility so let's start off Again, let me bring it back. What do you feel are some short-term solutions, including ideas on X, um, on, including ideas on harm reduction or more facilities? Let's hit on that. And by the you can start. Okay. Uh, first of all, Georgia 
is doing great with their with their uh, drug courts. They don't call them drug courts anymore, but they call them accountability courts. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. I didn't know and, that. And they are doing a fantastic job with the accountability courts, and especially in Fulton County. So hats off to Fulton County. Right. Uh, Love that. Just say, see changing the narrative. You yeah. see the they difference? Changed yes. the yes. They yeah. changed the narrative. Changed the narrative. Mm-hmm. Drug court. And yeah. when they changed the narrative, people started changing with them. Exactly. Okay? Wow. The other thing is, we are taxpayers that are paying for people's treatment. I mm. think there needs to be more transparency on what goes on at your treatment. I don't think that uh, we will be in violation of the HIPAA rule, mm-hmm. but I just think uh, short term is to make sure there's access to treatment for everybody, anybody, and everybody, mm-hmm. whether they have money or not. And the second thing is, let's start taking a look around what other cities are doing. What happened to the therapeutic communities? Mm-hmm. You know, they were long term, but guess what? The clients paid for it. Right. You know, of course, the government paid for some. Two-year program, switch your brain around. You said the clients paid for The clients paid for How did they pay for it? Well, when they get to a certain stage, like transitional housing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're able to work. They work and come back. They work and come back. But it was was another option uh, instead of going to the penitentiary. Aftercare they paid for. You, you You go to the therapeutic community or you go to the penitentiary. And uh, and and that was uh, I want to say the early '90s, and I'm gonna tell you, it worked for a whole bunch of us. Well, I'm one of them. It worked for. All right, mm-hmm. because I went to a uh, funded facility, a government funded mm-hmm. facility, um, and there were a lot of us and a lot of my peers that are still clean today. Thank you, That's Lord. What I'm talking be, be, about because of this facility, yes. it was comprehensive alcohol, alcohol and drug rehab center. Because they were in your face. They were in our face, but we had loving yes. um, professionals and other loving who were not only professionals but recovered addicts themselves uh, who were living a life of recovery and they cared about us and yes you're right after a certain phase we were allowed to get a pass Mm -hmm. and then after a certain phase we were allowed to get a job now they did have limitations we couldn't get a job that made x amount of money because they know money is a trigger right. for a lot of people. So they had standards in place. And you had to give back. Right, and you had to give back. And the, mm. so when you started making money, part of that money went to the center. And then I they had an account for me. So when I finished treatment, I had a little money to kick me off. I love to that. Get me, yeah. To get me a place, to, you know, get me an apartment yeah. and, or whatever, whatever. But they gave it to you a little bit. At a time. Mm-hmm. And these were people that really cared about yes. people. And so I know it does yeah. work. Uh, and I am thankful for... Me too. I girl. am thankful for CARP. That was That's the best facility. Yeah, and yeah, that was I, down here in Georgia. I was down here in Georgia. And I know a lot I am of people at, I am still in, clean from CARP. Yeah. I went to the Pier 1 family in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. So it does work. So, that, so that's one area. I'm, right. I'm going to let Wendy uh, see. Uh, well, I had one question because okay. it was about the short term. <laughs> And I and I saw this when I, I dealt with, and it, back then it was drug court. They called it drug court. Uh-huh. And I'm glad to know that they have changed that. But one of the things that I had an, an issue with that I feel like wasn't being addressed, and I would like for you all to address it, and maybe it has changed, 
when we talk about long short term we they didn't deal with the triggers right so you would go through this process of now i'm going to call it the correct name accountability court Mm -hmm. but then what's what is the aftermath when this person has to go back into their environment where there were triggers that even caused the addiction how are we long and and people this was a question for my listeners how do you deal with someone long, short term, okay, and long term? I guess it would be the same. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when they've gone into treatment and then they're coming back into their environment and there's the triggers. During mm-hmm. your time in treatment, you should be developing a support network. Mm-hmm. A good counselor is going to figure out, okay. Those brothers and sisters right there, they don't use drugs. They're good support for you. Okay, these people, uh, these people use drugs. You gonna go back to that? They, we try to find them to help them develop a support network. This is why the twelve step program is still powerful because you are gonna have a network of people. Mm-hmm. And but as that's what we do as counselors is to make sure that they have a good, solid support network before they leave treatment because they have to go back to that environment Yeah, because mm-hmm. they can't afford to live anywhere else. Right. And uh, so powerful. Uh, I remember being in treatment, and uh, treatment centers need to take the biopsychosocial approach because addiction does not only affect you biologically, mm-hmm. but it, it, there's a, a bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. There's a guilt. I mean, I, I remember one of my students saying, well, Miss Wendy, I just can't believe that you were ever an addict. And I was like, well, baby, if I wanted to tell a lie, that wouldn't be the one I, that wouldn't be the one that I would tell. <laughs> you know, but the reality is when I was in treatment, they educated me yes. on my biological Yes. predispositions, my social predispositions, mm-hmm. um, bio, bio, and my social. psychological mm-hmm. predispositions. And so then they started narrowing those things down, and then they started asking me questions like who had harmed me and, you know, things I had done that I was ashamed of. That's what the 12 steps is because mm-hmm. there's a fourth step that you do when you Absolutely. take a personal inventory mm-hmm. and it takes gut level honesty for that person mm-hmm. to get in touch with themselves so that they can have an opportunity to forgive themselves and realize that their disease, their their addiction is not a moral deficiency. It's not because mm-hmm. I'm a bad person. I'm looking for an escape for stuff I don't know how to handle. Right, right. I didn't choose to be an addict. Mm-hmm. I found an escape mm-hmm. and it felt yeah. good. Right. It and by the time, like I said on the last show, you don't know you're addicted till you're addicted. Right. Yeah. Right. You really don't. And so the shortest term, um, the shortest term goal that I think uh, I'd like to say to my families. Don't alienate your loved one because they're addicted. Absolutely. If you see there's a problem, educate yourself and show them unconditional love. If they don't take suggestions, then sometimes you might have to make the suggestion for them. I've had a loved one that I said, you either go to treatment Mm -hmm. or lose my number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
That's a hard pill that's, to that's, swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Okay, guys. Okay. We got. Ooh. This, we have uh, five minutes. Five right? minutes, y'all. And our two minutes each. I we had tremendous feedback and what want clarification Let's on harm, harm reduction. reduction. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let me clarify harm reduction. Harm reduction is uh they take a health approach. Okay. Right. So they want to keep people healthy because they believe people have the right to use however they want to use, but they want people to use healthy. So those are the people that uh, a part of harm reduction are handing out your clean needles, handing out your clean, um, uh, handing out condoms, handing out different right. types of drug paraphernalia for people to use. Right. And then if you get in a harm reduction program, they, you know, they slowly, slowly, slowly. Uh, I, I was reading today, and I'm sorry I didn't cite the source. It is, it's the harm reduction source. Just look it up on Google. Mm-hmm. And they tell you most of their clients eventually, guess what? Stop using. Right. right. They just don't put a time frame on when a person should stop. Right. Mm. You know, but when we're dealing with older people, like I shared before, you're not going to tell a 65 year old man who worked all his life, raised all them kids, still got some kids at home Mm -hmm. to stop drinking his beer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do it. I know it. I know it. My father died Mm -hmm. from a, um, uh, he burst his heart. See, yeah. From from but if you al- from give alcohol. Some alternatives like right. you know, dad. Uh, right. uh, uh, let's let's go have some water real quick, or drink yeah. something else that's going to counteract. Right. Know what supplements are going to be good for a person right. that you know that is using drugs. Right. Right. Sugar is a big deal for alcoholics. Right. I didn't know what was going on with me. I wanted everything sweet. Right. Okay, well today I want everything sweet. But even, <laughs> right. but even before, right. everything had to be sweet. Right. I didn't understand that because of all that alcohol right. that I was drinking, I didn't care about sugar until the sugar from the alcohol was gone. Right. Now, I need to replace that. Right. Right. So we have to educate people and then start, let's start looking at what other supplements can do right. for a person right. that is uh, struggling right. with uh, right. alcohol and drug addiction. And and, okay. and to piggyback, okay, to piggyback right. real quick is if you are identified as an addict, and an addict is a person whose life is controlled by drugs, we're not saying... Well, just do one hit of crack today because virtually that's uh, there's an obsession and compulsion that kicks in. And so that is not realistic. So we don't want anybody to think we saying, OK, j- just do a little bit of crack. Um, there's a uh, there are some levels. There is substance use. There is substance abuse. And then there's substance addiction. And so you need to know what level you are at or your loved one is at so that you take the right approach. approach. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. That was a big that was a big topic, um, harm reduction. And I thank God thank you guys for clearing that up. We're gonna continue the discussion. Uh, we are, we are, we are. Yeah. Um, what I've learned what we've learned today that addiction is affecting our black community and we have to continue the conversation. And holistic living has committed this show has committed to continuing the conversation, being real and honest and frank about what 
we are dealing with as a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to address it head on. And I thank you guys. I hope you thank guys you will come back. Me. I hope, so I hope you guys will come back so to. we can continue this conversation. Again, yeah. thank you for attending Holistic Living thank with you. Hazel, where we thank empire, impact, you, and Wendy. inform. Yes. Have a great one. Have a great one, y'all. We love we you. Love you. Thank you for listening to Holistic Living with Hazel. Tune in to iHeartRadio or TheReal1100.com. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to Holistic Living Podcast with Hazel.